So I would say if you want to be a part of something that is extremely rewarding, try to get into the cannabis industry. If you're not afraid of hard work, get in the cannabis industry because with that hard work comes great reward. You're listening to Cultivation Elevated, hosted by Michael Williamson, where we discuss vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production. You'll be learning key insights for vertical farming success from leading industry operators, growers, and executives. If you're a grower or owner looking to optimize your existing or new indoor cultivation facility, or anyone looking to cultivate more and less space, we've got you covered. Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture, where we talk about all things vertical farming in cannabis and food production. I'm your host, Michael Williamson, and I'm here today at Buckeye Relief in East Lake, Ohio, and I'm here with a good portion of the Buckeye Grow Team leadership. Uh, to my left, I've got Tyler Bracken, Cultivation Director, followed by Matthew Kispert, VP of Cultivation, and Michael Fish, aka Fish, Section Grower, and Shelby Harden, Section Grower. Thank you so much for taking the time, you're taking a lot of time with me today now, to be in your space, and I was lucky enough to come here about three and a half years ago when you guys were just getting started, so it's been really great to see where you are today. Matt, if you can take just a little bit of time and just tell, kind of describe, you know, the, the building size and some of the operations that you have here at Buckeye. Yeah, so the building itself is about 60,000 square feet. The state of Ohio, the licensing system is based on square footage of room size for cultivation grow rooms. So we have 25,000 square foot in our license that's basically divided up between the flower rooms and the bedroom. Um, anything that has a plant that's intended for production counts for that space. So hallway, like so hallways do not are plants and canopy are usually the limitation, but here it's actually room size. Room size. The hallways don't count. The, the mother room, surprisingly, doesn't count. It's just the bedroom and the flower rooms. Interesting. So Because those plants are all destined to become the finished product. But like the main aisle in front of your racks and your mobile aisles count towards yes. the square footage? Yeah, within the walls. Just not the, the exterior the corridors. Rooms. Okay. Yep. And, and uh, the building itself is purpose-built, so yeah, we have the luxury of having basically a blank slate when we started, um, set everything up uh, with the intention of this being a cannabis grow. Uh, we knew early on uh, in the license writing process that we were going to have two levels, so we kind of factored that into uh, like how the system, the building was phased on, if you will. So when we first started, we didn't have the second level installed, but we preemptively put in all the electrical work, we put in the ducting, we put in the curbs for a second HVAC system on the roof, uh, basically set the stage so our second level expansion was almost plug and play. Uh, it took us two weeks to add the second level onto the rooms, including getting the HVAC set up. It's incredible, by the way, right? From a planning standpoint, to be able to transition, you know, most people think of a phase two, and it's like permits, construction, people in and out of your space, but you were able to do the, completely double your canopy in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And what's the other thing you have to do? You had to oversize your racking height, I imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and now the regulations though, that 25,000 square feet, doesn't matter how many tiers you have, is that correct? It does not, we could, we could be a skyscraper. You could technically be a skyscraper, yeah. so maybe a weird loophole in the, in the regulations. <laughs> it's interesting how regulations in any state shape mm -hmm. a lot of what comes next. Um, some of them make sense and some of them don't make sense. 
Well, if we could take a moment too um, to maybe just go one by one and tell me a little bit about your background Absolutely. and um, kind of what you did before this, and and I'll, and I'll start with Tyler here. Cool. Yeah, I'm Tyler Bracken. I uh, grew up in Bay Village, Ohio. My background was really with contracting. So I I was a contractor for seven years, so a lot of manual labor, and then decided to get into the cannabis industry. Went to school for cannabis. I had an internship out in California where I learned a ton um, and decided that I wanted to take what I learned from California and come back to Ohio and really start something fresh here and uh, be around my friends and family. That's awesome. As we were talking earlier, it's like every grower's dream. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. How about you, Matt? I grew up in Illinois. I went to graduate school in Minnesota and then worked for a greenhouse and hydroponic equipment company in Iowa before eventually moving to Ohio, doing a somewhat similar job and then got contracted to assist Buckeye in the beginning and then got brought on full-time a little bit after that. Awesome. And you have a degree in horticulture as well? I have a, well? yeah, a master's degree in horticulture. Awesome. Michael Fish. That's me. So I actually have a restaurant background and a little bit of a computer technology background. Um, I grew up working in restaurants and I went to a trade school called Auburn Career Center to go for computer networking, which didn't necessarily work out. So that more or less landed me thinking of what else I wanted to do. Um, Buckeye Relief showed up, presented itself to me. So I jumped ship, went right on there. I actually started the day of the pandemic, March 16th. And then about six months after I was working in cultivation staff, I became a section grower, and I've been loving it ever since. Awesome. And how about you, Shelby? Yeah, so um, I'm from Elizabethtown, Kentucky, where obviously the weed industry hasn't really hit there yet. <laughs> so um, definitely didn't see myself in this industry at all, but uh, most of my experience comes from sales and inventory. So basically my husband was in the military and we from Kentucky to Ohio here, and the job presented itself to him. So I took that jump with him, and we're here now. That's awesome. Worked here for about the same time that Mike was saying, um, for about six months, and then ended up getting the section grower position as well. Have you guys ever worked in a startup before, or was this kind of like the first like boots on the ground startup? So I haven't worked in a startup in the cannabis industry, but um, growing up, my parents started a meal prep uh, business. Mm -hmm. So working with them, um, long hours, closing up the shop. Whatever it takes. Yeah, yeah, it really showed me how much work can go into a startup in that regard. I think it's one of the things that surprises people a bit. It, it sounds fun, right? but startups also have some level of controlled chaos and unknowns and pivots and you know, hair pulling moments and mm -hmm. team bonding moments. But um, sometimes there's certain people that are they're just not built for startup. They really need like hyperstructure. That's kind of what they thrive in. So it's always interesting when someone tries to join the cannabis industry that comes from a really structured environment and they happen to join a company that's, you know, year one. Oh yeah. Um, There's a lot of pivots and changes that you have to be able to roll with. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a lot here actually. <laughs> Light feet, it's important, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk a little bit about so the title section grower. It's not a new concept by any means. I, I know that we use that a lot in traditional mm -hmm. horticulture, especially with large greenhouse operations. But for someone who might be a new listener to this podcast, 
Can you describe um, kind of what a section grower is and the roles and responsibilities? There? So a section grower is somebody who, we're basically the plant's parents for the nine weeks from veg to harvest. So we take care of them from when they are little one foot little babies to up to five feet tall monstrosities that are a pain to work on, but we love them anyways. We are, we take care of them. We go through our pruning events. We lead our pruning events, our defoliating events. Our, we work with other parts of our department to do our trellising events. And it's basically just the section growers that go through and train our plants, which is one of our big crop steering events that we have here next to pruning and defoliating. So, and so you have a dedicated space? Yes, yes. A uh, space of about 6,000 square foot vertically inclined grow room, which is our home for the whole time we're here. You're responsible for everything that happens in that space? Yes. The team, the people. What work we do whenever the team's not in the room is what lays out the following week. So whatever we're doing in the room this week is going to lay out our prune event next week. How well we've trained the plants is going to determine how late we're staying or how early we're getting out. Um, our jobs are definitely very important. It's helped a lot with some of the problems that we were seeing in the rooms and just being able to be with the team and whatnot and having just that safe place like we were mentioning earlier. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more accountability, right? Yes. And when it's like, this is my zone, um, you know, like if there's something wrong with your zone or space, that they're going to come talk to you. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something that drives um, a lot of us section doors is anything that happens in this room is our, not necessarily our, our fault, but our responsibility. So we want to make sure that everything in there is going as smooth as possible and make sure the team's as happy as possible, make sure our plants are as healthy and as happy as possible. We're also considered like one of the first lines of defense to anything happening to those plants. So that's why it's good for us to get eyes on the plants at all times to let IPM or Kispert or Tyler or anything um, know that something's wrong with them, if anything's wrong with them. There's another story here too that is really a story about starting with minimal cannabis experience, but you guys both came with hard work, yes. ethics, communication, all those like, key things in leadership, and you were able to actually, you know, quote unquote, climb the ladder here at Buckeye. Mm -hmm. For someone that may be listening who has either just started in the cannabis industry and maybe is discouraged that they're not going to get that shot or that chance, um, or maybe someone that has been thinking about getting in the cannabis industry and it's just kind of on the fence on whether they should or should not. Is there a message that each of you would have for someone like that? Yeah, absolutely. So I took a shot whenever I put my application in for Buckeye because obviously I didn't know anything about, you know, weed or cannabis, so many different names for it. Didn't know anything about it and didn't really start using it until I was out of the house, like in my 20s and whatnot. So when I came in here, it was it was culture shock, a big culture shock, but I went past the thought of, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this. And I just focused on the ambition that I finally found in my job, because I'd never had it anywhere else. And once you just get that mindset and just look at what you're doing, retain what you're doing, and just keep doing it week after week, it becomes effortless. You go in there and you know exactly what you need to do. It's definitely entry level. Like they say it is, there's nothing here that no one can learn to do. That's awesome. Yeah, so one thing I would I would say is anybody getting into the industry would be learn everything when you come in. 
like create good habits while you're learning what you're learning um, because if you create those good habits then speed and different things like that with pruning and defoliating those will come with those good habits if, if you come in and you get wrapped up in somebody being way faster than you at certain tasks you're going to create bad habits and then down the road it's going to be a lot harder to break those bad habits so yeah if, if you come in just be kind of open to learn anything and create those good habits you'll you'll be fine and set for a long time how about you fish uh so honestly there, there's a lot going through my head that i could say right now um thinking about it really don't give up is pretty cliche to say but no matter what you do no matter how many times you're knocked down you have to continue to get back up and continue to do your best and put your best foot forward no matter what it doesn't matter how much education you have on this certain subject it doesn't matter what background you come from it doesn't matter where you come from it for that matter like I, I, I'm from Painesville didn't think I'd be doing this but now I'm actually a pretty big part of this company and I was a dishwasher in a restaurant for most of my life. I didn't think I'd be doing this. So just don't give up, have a positive mindset on everything and try to smile. Sure. That definitely, have, definitely have helps. a little fun. No, I mean, I, I, think you, I think you said it well. A lot of people get discouraged when they first get in this space and they're like, oh, I'm not being recognized or something. And I don't know if that's like this uh, millennial Gen Y, Gen Z, I don't even know what all the generations are these days, but you have to shine. I always tell them, like, you have to shine extra bright every day. Be consistent. And you can't just do it when your boss walks in the door. You have to do it all the time. You have to do it when nobody's looking. Because right. guess what? Somebody's always watching. And somebody's always aware of, like, who that person is. Like, as a leader, like, you know who your ambitious hard workers are that are consistent, right? Oh, but, absolutely. Well, you know, when you're met, because I'm sure you had a lot to do with some of these elevated roles, like, what are you looking for as a leader in this group when you're looking to, you know, move someone up in a position? Um, like, what are the key traits or characteristics that you kind of look for? Basically, just people that that show up, that have a positive attitude, that are always kind of stepping forward. You know, there's a lot of opportunities to learn a lot of new stuff in this industry, and a lot of us came into this industry not knowing anything and so a big part of it is is admitting yes i don't know that but i'm willing to learn and if you teach me and provide me the tools necessary i will prove to you that i'm worth the investment and it's finding those people that are, are willing to constantly step forward and say you know what i don't know how to do that but i'll figure it out but you help me and those are the ones that rise to the top the people that just show up punch a clock and go home at the end of the day i mean every job has people like that uh, but those aren't going to be the ones that ultimately become leaders in the company. Mm -hmm. I think you said it right. Step forward, right? Like when you're in a discomfort position, like don't don't stray away from it. Like lean yeah. in a little right. bit, right? Mm -hmm. Understand why Absolutely. it's uncomfortable. Once you're and comfortable, you need to put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Exactly. And there's a lot of times too. We we look at like uh, let's say like a lot of the celebrities in our world, or a lot of the leaders, like you know, like Kispert or even Andy or anybody. We don't understand how many times have they, how many times have they fallen down before they've gotten back up to where they are today. And I think we need to realize that you're going to fall down a few times before you get to where you're supposed to be. And I think that's just a part of life, you know. Especially in the cannabis industry, I mean, you're going to make mistakes. Um, you're going to over prune a plant. You're going to under prune a plant. As long as you learn from that and move on and don't repeat that, you'll be gold. Mm -hmm. Nice. 
So this facility strategically started off as a single-tier facility, but you set it up for success to go multi-tier with less effort than a typical construction multi-phase process. Mm. Can we get into that a little bit? Because there's, there's pros and cons there. But I'd love to know more about the mindset of, hey, we're going to start first tier, here's why. We know we want to go to second tier, here's why. Um, and kind of, I guess, what, what drove a lot of that decision making originally? So there was a lot of market research. You know, we looked at other states that had medical programs. You know, what was the, the growth curve of new patient signups? Um, what about patient retention? How many of those patients are going to be first time purchasers and then fall off? Not really find what they're looking for out of the program and then not continue to participate in it. And once we kind of had those numbers, we settled on, you know, let's let's go for the first year at a single level. But if all of the trends across all of the other states that are similar demographically to us hold true, within a year and a half, we're going to want to expand our capacity because, you know, Ohio is like limited license state, right? There, there were, I think in the beginning there was only 26 licenses that were our size at 25,000 square feet. Not even all of them went live. I was gonna say, many time. of them probably didn't go operational. Yeah, not a lot of them. I mean, we hit the ground running. We were the, the first to break ground. We were the, the first harvest in the state, the first products to shelves. Was it the best product? No, admittedly, but. It was the best legal product in the market at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but we you know, set out from the beginning to, to really like, set ourselves up for success, if you will. And you know that involved a little bit more money up front. We had to have the racking that was tall enough to accommodate the second level. We didn't have you know double the lights or anything like that. That all came later. It was just basically the the building size, the racking, the the post harvest. You had to plan that. I mean, that's that's the con to me is the initial capital expenditures up front, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're going to set yourself up to go second tier with yeah. ease, you're going to spend more money up front. That's the big con. Mm -hmm. But you guys, you guys pre-did your electrical, right? Mm -hmm. so you're, you were literally just plugging lights in in most cases. Yeah, yeah, we had. I mean, we set up with enough power, knowing we were going to double the HVAC and double the lights. So and you did the curbs for your yeah. HVAC, but you didn't purchase the HVAC, which is smart because it's expensive mm -hmm. and it's, it's going to sit there. And then, yeah, you oversized the height of your rack so that you could just basically get some horizontal beams in there, add a tray, buy a light, you're kind of off to the races. Yep. Yeah, we even had our lights set up to where the lights that we had in our phase one were hanging from the ceiling on chains all the way down. And then we just literally raised them all the way up to the ceiling and then slapped the rows on and then put a different fixture underneath. Oh, that's right, because your fluents and your, vip your vipers mm -hmm. originally? Yeah, yeah we have the, the vipers, vipers up top. And your vipers up top and spiders, down, spiders below. down below. Got yeah. it. And then fluence is plug and play, like their cables all plug into each other uh, really easy. All the easy. flex There's, wiring system. Yeah, there was no, we didn't need an electrician to hook up the second level at all. I mean, the advantage is there as a grower, when I think about that, it's like, you mentioned it earlier, I think it was like building the airplane while you're flying it. Every grower in the cannabis space mostly can, can that one hits hard and because mm -hmm. they're all used to doing that too. Um, but by doing this, you were able to not really have to pull a whole bunch of additional permits, um, not have a bunch of contractors in and out of your space for months and months while you're still building. And, you know, there's always biosecurity risk yeah. with that. How long did it take you to go from single tier to a multi-tiered environment with all that pre-planning that you did? So each flower room was about two weeks. So you were able so to convert over a single tier flower room to a multi-tier flower room in two weeks? Two weeks. Yep. Two weeks of downtime. Yeah. So we harvested it, it cleaned it out, 
dropped, brought the crane in. The crane was here for six weeks, dropped the units down on the roof while the units were getting installed on the roof. And that was the only contractor part was the HVAC. Everything inside was done by the team, like just the cultivation team, since we had the downtime without having that room to take care of. Like we all put the tables in, hung the lights, did all that stuff on our own. Joys of startup, right? Oh yeah. Anything and everything. Like you're signing your job description, a HR usually puts that little <laughs> and everything we would ever possibly ask yeah. from you. Yeah. You're like, yep, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, I get in the trenches sometimes. Our yeah. very <laughs> first clone round, we had our IT director, our HR manager in the clone room, like dosing fertilizer and tanks. I mean, everybody. It, yeah, like you said, with the startup, it was all hands on board. You know, though you guys were the first, and I think from a lot of outsiders' perspective, you're like, oh, these guys are the biggest. They're, you know, they're all this stuff. But you're, you're not like a really corporate company. You really have kind of single leadership up top, and you don't have big committees where you have to make a lot of decisions. Mm-hmm. So, where you may look like a big corporate entity, you're actually, you know, small business. It's very nimble, and you're able to make changes very quickly because of this. How much? Um, freedom from a, like a leadership standpoint do you have with some of these like when you see a problem um, and you you know the answer to it is there like is that something you can just go and address on your own or do you need to like flush it up the chain and, and get things approved or is that like so is it a long process i guess the the slightly vulgar phrase i always come back to is the the owners give us enough rope to hang ourselves sure. so uh, it's yeah single owner company and basically they they brought the team on board with the expectation that we would do the job we were hired to do. And they are very much aware of the fact that they're not cannabis growers. We're cannabis growers. We, they hired us to do it. So they're not going to presume to know any better. So if we present them with a problem and a solution, then they say, well, take care of it. No, don't like we're, we're here to see what you're doing and say interact with you. But you guys are the experts. That's why we brought you on board. So we're gonna defer to your judgment for most of the decisions that happen. And that agility has been amazing. It's allowed us to, to innovate. It's allowed us to like play around in the space and figure out ways to improve. We make mistakes and lucky for us, they're accommodating with that. You know, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of times where we've had to go to the owners and present information that's you know, not that great, but they're very understanding and it's been a blessing, like very much so. It's awesome. A lot of, I think growers find themselves in a position of responsibility, but they don't have control. And that can be a really scary position to be in, especially when you're like, okay, well, I'm responsible for all this stuff, but I can't actually drive the change that's necessary, especially when you see the problems. Right. Um, where it sounds like you have a bit of a better balance with that here, which is really nice. Speaking of really nice, it's just no. I've been to, I don't know, 600 growth facilities in my career. You start to see common themes. I look at things like pattern recognition. I look at root cause analysis. But I can't help but notice that you have a nice culture here. You know, from the moment we pulled in, it was like, oh, they got a food truck out front, you know? <laughs> and then, oh, it's National Hot Dog Day. Yeah. So you guys, you know, the, the was it the culture committee? You guys mm-hmm. have a group here? Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It's a group of people from various departments that all get together. I don't know how often they meet, like once a month, month something like that. And they just plan fun things for the company. Uh, Like golf outings, food trucks. Uh, We tried to do a kayaking thing, but it got rained out. So we're going to reschedule that one. Very cool. Yeah, I think the typical uh, move is uh, from most of these other companies is like they just do like a pizza day. And like, that's fine once in a while and I'm just appreciative. But like, 
employees get over the pizza, the free pizza day. Yeah. Actually, pretty quick. If you're not addressing their actual issues that they have in the grow, and you're just feeding them some free pizza once in a while, right. mm-hmm. it's kind of like a meme or a joke in the industry these days. Uh, this whole pizza thing. So it's nice that you guys are actually taking time to like think about things that are, I think, a little bit more meaningful or memorable. And all those outings too, they're so strong for team building. Absolutely. You know, but you guys have a great culture here, and so. I'd love to hear from each one of you, we start with Shelby, of kind of like, what do you think makes Buckeye have a great culture? Or what, is it, what does a great culture mean to you kind of thing? So, I, I don't know exactly how I wanna start this, so we I'm can, just gonna, yeah. just gonna get flamboyant with yeah, well, it. So I believe in lot positive energies that you can have in an environment around you. And I've worked in quite a bit of companies and had a lot of stressful feelings just instantly as soon as I walked through the door, like I instantly don't want to be here. I don't really get that here. I never really got that here. I mean, there have been, of course, days where I'm stressed out and, you know, everybody goes through it. But ultimately, I feel like I can be truly who I am here and not really have anybody judge me for it. If I want to scream in a flower room, I can scream in a flower room and people will cheer me on for it. It's great. Um, but it's just something that I've found here that I can't find anywhere else and don't think I will, just because it's like it's startup. There have been a lot of people here that have been here since the get-go, and we've kind of built it onto that, built onto that as we went. So it's just... I get it. I mean, there's a good energy here. It feels good when you walk in the door. There's just something in there. I smell some terpenes, too. Yeah. <laughs> about once you walk about like 10 feet from the parking lot, you can smell it. It hits you like a wall. Yeah, that's the like the pre. That's where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What, what does a good culture mean to you, Kansas? So I, I believe a lot of that comes from how we more or less treat each other like a family. We really are like a family. There's been times where we spent more time with each other than we do our actual like family, you know? So uh, I think a lot of that we've learned to be able to be ourselves with each other, which nobody ever like Shelby said, we can scream and be our <laughs> weird selves in a flower room, and nobody ever looks at us weird. They we usually trust me. Uh, <laughs> they usually <laughs> hop on along, and we have this thing where we do like woos, like some new go like woo, and then you'll hear it all throughout the flower yeah, it's room. It's like a wave like, throughout woo, the room. Woo, Everybody woo, will just start. Nice. Doing it. So we kind of like that positive energy sure. around. So anything to make people around us comfortable. So I think good energy, making it feel like a like we're all a family, and being able to be happy with what you're doing. I, I feel like big, I feel like I can at least speak for Mike and I when I when I say we take a lot of pride in being who people need us to be in that moment. Yes. Like if there are people we can sense that our team is having a bad day or it's just not going the way we had planned, you know, we take it upon ourselves to try and reverse that. Yeah. Shift that energy a bit. Shift it. And like scream a little. Yeah. Saying. For sure. <laughs> and there's times too, of course, where you know, there's a time to be mature and then there's a time to be, you know, you can be silly and go happy, but there's times where you need to be professional about certain things and handle things when that's needed. But it's always be nice to be able to go back and forth between that and not just be set in one way. So like, it, it, I feel like it helps people come to you more that way and it helps people be more comfortable around you that way. Because all seem really approachable. You know, I think if you've got leadership that's just like not approachable and there's <laughs> problems, like they just avoid that. Right. And nothing ever gets addressed, right? You, Matt? I think from, I mean, from my standpoint, uh, the best thing that we can do is just give them the tools that they need to succeed, be open to them when they have feedback, try to solve their problems, and then honestly stay the heck out of their way. Like we, we set them up for success and provide them with the guidelines and then, you know, check in and make sure that things are going smoothly and listen to 
issues that arise, address them as we can. And I mean, yeah, these guys, they're like, they're powering the whole machine. Yeah, it's nice that you have that level of trust. You know, a lot of people in cultivation leadership positions, they just don't trust their team to, to do the right thing. And they feel like they have to put their hands on everything. So getting out of your own way is, I think that's, that's across the board in most industries, but yeah, specifically in cannabis, it's definitely a problem when someone's just clogging up the machine. Yeah. And I think that's something that I, I do appreciate is being able to, you know, do my own thing without doing my own thing too much, you know? We do have a little bit of leeway. Like if yeah. we feel like, you know, to a certain extent, if there's something that will, a way we could train this plant a certain way that we feel like could benefit, as long as it's not too drastic, we do have that leeway to be able to, you know, do what we feel like would help. But I mean, it's just, they're always open and available. Just a phone call away if we have a question or something that might be urgent. But it's just most of the time I do appreciate that we, I, I agree, Kispert, um, you, you guys do give us the tools that we need. and. It, it's nice because y'all just stay out of our way and let us do our thing. And most of the time, when it's like that, everything gets done the way it's right. done. Nice. How about you, Tyler? What's uh, like? How, what's what defines a good, good culture, culture in a cannabis business? So, like they've pretty much touched on, one of the biggest things that I've pushed since I've been in a leadership position is to be yourself. To come in here, to not have the stresses from outside life, just to come in enjoy working with weed enjoy being who you are and then yeah like them knowing that they can come to me at any time of day they can call me at any time of night like just being there for them when they need is a really important aspect to me because yeah life outside can be pretty stressful and if they have a place a safe place to come and even better it's work like that i feel like that is a great place to start for. As long as people can culture. check that drama at the door, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, life, life is weird these days. And at the same time, like, if they can't leave the drama at the door, they know they can come to me and they can work through it with me. Yeah, because I don't want anybody stressing about something that... It's a distraction. Yeah. Right, it's a distraction yeah. that's going to negatively impact quality or safety in some cases. Yeah. I mean, uh, to that point, like, with exactly. stress... the a big part of the culture then too is just making sure that there is as little stress here as possible. Right. So that almost allows this place to be an escape in some instances. You know, the more we can provide them with you know, ease of access to supplies and a, a clear path forward, then there's less ambiguity. And ambiguity ultimately leads to anxiety. So removing that is a way to, to kind of help make this environment a little more Makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. A, a really cool thing that I see on a daily basis, you guys also touched on it, is if somebody on the team is having a rough day or they're down for some reason, they have people around them that lift them up, take them under their wing, and kind of really get them through what they're working through. Nice. Yeah, I like to um, kind of be, I, I'm really good at reading people and reading how people are. So if I see somebody's like, not having the best day or something there'll be times where i'll pull them aside and be like let's go for a walk let's talk about something how are you doing what's going on you know like and that why are you listen- crying yeah, you know that, that <laughs> not- listening yeah it's taking personal interest yeah. mm-hmm. i think a lot of people don't feel cared about in a lot of the positions in any job but cannabis specifically you know that there's this and we talked a little bit about it but it's like enamoring you're like oh it's cannabis it's gonna be so fun and exciting right i call that the honeymoon period yeah. at some point the honeymoon period comes to an end and you're like 
wow, this is like high level light manufacturing or yeah. this is a plant factory it, and I'm going to have to do this thing a thousand times, 1200 yep. times. Oh, and I need to do it at a certain level and cadence and caliber and all that stuff. And then you, right. you, you put on the compliance sheet and then the uh, seed to sell tracking sheet. Then <laughs> I mean, it, there's a lot going on. We used to call it the weed factory. I, actually, I used to call it the weed factory. <laughs> you want to work at the weed factory today? <laughs> well, you know what, though? It, it's A lot of people take a job, like, probably like, from an office setting or something like that, where they sit in a desk all day. That's why people from restaurants, that's why people from military, people that played on sports teams, people that know what it's like to be on a team and work together, communicate together, generally thrive oh, yeah. from an employee standpoint in these spaces. Oh, absolutely. Um, and this place is so bigger than any one person. And I think it's clear that you guys all know that. Can one of you give me a little bit of a landscape of kind of the Ohio market? I know it's a limited license state, but kind of, yeah, where did it start and kind of what is the status of it today? It's, I mean, yeah, limited license market. So there's, I want to say, 52 or 54 cultivation licenses in the state now. They're all operating at this point? Most of them are operating at this point. There might be. When you started, there was less, right? Yeah. Yeah. There might be a couple of the the level twos, which are 3,000 square feet, Mm -hmm. that aren't operational yet. The dispensaries, they just increased dramatically. There's another 72 dispensaries that are coming online. Some of them are already built out, others are at various stages of build out. So I don't mean to get the number wrong. I think we're, we're like 140 something dispensaries at this point. Sounds about right. Okay. Um, at least licenses that are allowed in the state. Well, with 70 ish of those coming online in yeah. the spring. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, just Three. there are various stages. Okay. I, I can't speak for the individual yeah. companies. Uh, we're a, a mishmash of MSOs and single owners all over the state. Yeah. And you guys also have kind of a house of brands underneath you that you guys have worked out partnerships with. Um, can you talk about some of those brands at all? Yeah, so we have some marketing um, affiliates that we work with. We have uh, Old Pal, which is like a uh, loose ground. Uh, they actually do mostly pre-rolls in other states, but Ohio is a vaporization only state. So oh, interesting. we just do like bulk ground, like premium ground flour with the Old Pal branding. Okay. So similar to like getting like a pouch of tobacco. Yeah, and roll exactly. Your exactly. So that's exactly. a loopy hole of sorts. Yeah. Got it. Except you're not rolling it, you're putting it in a vaporizer. Got you it. <laughs> you're not giving them any papers to go along with that. Nope. Got it. We were with Lana. Yeah. Uh, Lana's another big one. Their gummy line is insane. So um, they came in, then they've been a phenomenal company to, to work with. Um, basically helping our kitchen staff get everything set up, uh, teaching us all the recipes, providing us with the raw ingredients, and then we grow everything that is distilled into their products in Ohio, and that's been really good for us. I wish I knew how many gummies we've oh. made to date. It was at 700,000? Something like that. The gummy craze is crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, they're it's awesome. Just, it's wild, yeah. And it's, it's interesting how someone who's not familiar with cannabis we you know, they were like hand a joint to them. They're like, oh no, no, no. You, you know, you hand a gummy to them, and they're right. like, oh, give me that thing. You know, right. it's a whole. It just shifts the whole mindset, and because it's I'm not sure exactly why that is, but maybe it takes the stigma off of having to like smoke, smoke it. Sure, you know, right. just eating the gummy, and you're just like, but you know, gummy, gummies can sneak up on you too. <laughs> yeah, and and I know from like just some family members, they just don't like smoking in general. Sure, no matter what it is. So if they can still benefit from cannabis but not have to smoke it they uh they'll go that route oh and ohio is only medical at this time correct yeah um is recreation like around the corner or is it years away or is it an unknown factor there is a 
ballot initiative that was supposed to be on the ballot this year, but for various reasons that we won't get into, uh, got kicked to next year. So it's a like a voter initiative, okay. basically. But even after that, it takes so much more time. So you guys are probably still optimistically two years away. We're cautiously optimistic that if it passes next November, then we'll be good to like go wreck in 2024. Okay, cool. That's exciting. And right now in the state of Ohio, there's roughly 200,000 registered patients. Is that? Oh, it's more than that. More than I that. don't know the exact okay. number. That's a decent number though. Yeah. 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 yeah, I would say north of a quarter million. Okay. What's Ohio? 12, 12 million people, something like that? Yeah, it's. You know, I was going to ask you all these hard stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I just left my notebook out of here for the. Yeah, I think this is where Leslie's I'm good. I'm just teasing. Yeah, yeah, he is great. So, yeah, we've talked about culture, which a lot of people don't realize it's such a problem in the industry. A lot of people have toxic culture and they don't understand why they can't hit certain goals. So, certain KPIs or key performance indicators that have been set by their leadership. Well, when you have toxic culture, how hard are you really going to work in that culture, right? And so what I notice about people that have good culture is they have good productivity. And so you guys have pretty large rooms for an indoor facility, especially now that you're double stacked. Oh, yeah. And so earlier when I asked you how long does it take to turn over a room or flip a room, it's a pretty short period of time. I was expecting you guys to be in that five plus stake. I was, I was like, you're going to say a week <laughs> and then I'm going to cringe on the inside. But I didn't. You guys were like, it's what, roughly 48 hours. Um, and you guys are flipping that room sanitizing, cleaning, um, sorting, getting organized, all the metric stuff, and then repopulating in 48 hours, which is awesome. And a lot of people don't realize, they're like, oh, it takes me a week to turn my zone over. Well, in the cannabis world, you know, if you're getting five and a half, maybe six harvests a year, if you're lucky, that's a half a harvest mm -hmm. you lost there. And when you put that in dollar amounts, it adds up really quickly of how much money you're losing every year that you could be putting in, you know, in, in, in the company kitty. That all being said, you guys also, you not only do all these amazing things, but they're all validated, which is nice. It was nice to hear that for me today because a lot of people yep. when I ask, you, you validate your sanitation process and I'll start with that. <laughs> so can we talk a little bit about maybe what validation means um, on, a, on, a, on a process? We'll use sanitation as an example. So if I wanted to validate the sanitation process, where do I even begin and what does that mean? So I guess a little background on that. I come from a food background, mm -hmm. and everything is either gip gap or HACCP. And basically that means like forward tracing, back tracing, and then process validation. So HACCP, hazard analysis, critical control points. You go into a production facility and you look at it and say, where are all my touch points? You know, this is my final product, work backwards. Where are the touch points on that product? And then how do each of those touch points potentially influence contamination? So then once you have that list, you figure out, okay, well, what are my sanitation protocols for each of those touch points? And then how do I check those sanitation protocols to ensure that I'm actually doing what I think I'm doing? You know, is the rate of sanitizer that I'm applying working? Is the mechanical action that I'm using to apply the sanitizer working? Am I removing all of the material to ensure that it's actually getting clean? So what we did very early on was, you know, come up with that list and then Basically, I mean, what it comes down to is we just, we swab stuff. You know, we, we take surface swabs off the tabletops to ensure that they're getting clean. We take surface swabs off the racks and the doors and the floors and the walls. Do you do that before or after? Or we do it before, we do it 
mid clean because there's multiple steps. There's cleaning and there's sanitizing, right? Cleaning is the removal. I love of, you guys. You guys are great. <laughs> cleaning is the removal of debris. Mm -hmm. Sanitizing is surface sterilization of a cleaned surface. So we check at all three points. You know, we want to see how dirty was it before we started, uh, how thorough is our clean, and then is our sanitation exhibiting a high enough kill step. And that's what we did. We used to do it every single round in multiple places to, as we developed our cleaning protocols. Uh, now we use it more of like a process validation check. So we go in and do random spot checks mm -hmm. to make sure that the, the gears are still working properly. We also do air sampling where we're using, uh, basically it's, a, it's an, a pump that pulls air into a chamber that hits an auger plate and then gives us an idea of you know, total yeast and mold counts, spore counts, uh, contaminant counts in the air. So awesome. we know, you know, is our HVAC system functioning properly? Is, are the filters working the way they're supposed to? Are we doing something in the room that's causing us to stir material up that we need to be aware of? It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's proactive, right? Um, yeah, versus so reactive. Exactly. And the cannabis industry is hyper-reactive. Oh, we hard to be reactive. How <laughs> big gate want to be proactive? Everything from our biosecurity protocols, like minimizing people that go through. Uh, we knew from the beginning we wanted to put windows looking into the flower rooms, which that means we have to have blinds and worry about light leaks and everything. But when we bring tours in, we don't have to walk them into our grow. They can go peek through the windows and we can wave at them like Jurassic Park parks. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I spoke to someone who toured here and they were like, we went, but we didn't go in the rooms. We just got to look at the windows. And then I felt so privileged that I've gotten to go into the rooms. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's, that's music to my ears. Um, it's amazing how many people, again, don't focus on the root cause of a problem. And they just keep piling these band-aids on and oh, I'm going to spray this product. And it's like they never, they never go to like, well, why is this a problem? And they don't ever address that. Right. And it's like this layering of band-aids and it's just problem after problem and it's like maybe the problem's a little bit better but it's never actually eradicated um and it's like silly things too like uh, our spray equipment so we were cleaning our spray equipment out and we were using xerotol to clean the spray equipment out uh, and that works but xerotol dissipates after 24 hours and so if you don't use your sprayer for another week and you have a solution still sitting in it well, the xerotol is no longer acting. If there's anything at all in that tank, then you could have, you know, aerobic bacteria in the tank and you don't even realize it. And we swabbed our tanks X number of days after we cleaned them and realized like, oh, if this sits for a week, where there's a chance that we're applying aerobic bacteria to our plants with a foliar application. So now instead of cleaning, well, we still clean it after, but we also clean it before we do sprays too. And that Smart. immediately eliminated an issue that popped up. Yeah, so it's like just, yeah, silly things like that. Cause, yeah. I can't tell many people like go tear everything out and change this and spend all this money. And it's like sometimes it's like the simplest mm -hmm. thing, right? Like that didn't necessarily cost you any, well, there's a little bit of labor there, but it didn't really cost you any more money. It was just more of a process. Right. An example I use is sometimes people are like, oh, I've got a great spray mm -hmm. team for my IPM. They get great coverage and they're the best, you know, everyone's the best, right? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool. Um, and I was like, how, have you ever tested like, their coverage? And they're like, well, how do I do that? And I always like like simple tricks. So like the trick that I use is get a, I'm like, do you have a paper clip and a note card? And I'll just grid out the note card and put, you know, some boxes on it. Go stash a few of those in the canopy before they spray. Afterwards, it's water, it, it, it's wet. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's paper and it's water. So right. it's gonna show a dibble. And so what I wanna see is that whole card is dibbled. But if that card is 50% dibbled, well then I know your plants are 50% dibbled. And 
So when you're like, oh, this product doesn't work, I tried it, I still have aphids or whatever the pest may be, they, 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 they like, they'll immediately go to like another product where it's like they don't go to the application. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you're getting 50% coverage, yeah. you're never, I don't care what product you use, you're never going to get ahead of it. So there's little things like that that have meaningful outcomes. Um, and that's teaching your IPM team that to basically count or use timing when they're spraying so you have even app- applications. It started off with a metronome, you know, the spray beeps, and you make sure that you're taking the same amount of time per row, and then you can divide up your time and your rate of application by the volume of the tank that you mix up to know how much you apply across the entire room. Eventually, it becomes second nature. Sure. And but at startup, all this stuff is like so critical in the right. beginning. You know, at some point, you're like, you just yeah, you're in flow. You're in the flow state, and everyone's yeah. working together. So we talked a little bit about some of the brands that you guys have uh, beyond the Buckeye brand, but can you give me just kind of an overview of some of the products that you produce and maybe some of like the top selling cultivars? Um, I know a lot of people like our 92 cookies. That's probably one of our biggest ones, if I'm not mistaken. I hear everything about that every day. I have some groups that I follow on Facebook for medical marijuana holders. A lot of people usually talk about 92 cookies. What is it about that particular variety? Does it it check a lot of boxes? I I personally think it has great effects for the consumer. Um, It's a, not only does it have great effects, but it's a beautiful looking product. It has great terpenes. Um, So across the board, it it just kind of destroys every category. Is it tied to THC? Is it a very high THC variety? It's decently yeah. high. Yeah. Oh, we get batches that come in as high as 29% and as low as 24%. Okay, yeah, so it's so, on the stronger side. Yeah. But it doesn't, the effects don't really, it's not like couch wheat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't lock in. Yeah. You want to go for a walk or something, mm-hmm. maybe play some video games. Yeah. Uplifting. Yeah. Is that like kind of cannabis? On the other spectrum is uh, garlic breath. Um, that has also very great uh, effects, but a little bit heavier, uh, kind of more. In the couch. In the couch, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that also is a beautiful plant. Uh, You guys saw it being uh, the freeze-dried version, and also the the terpene profile on those are out of this world. Um, Very gassy. Smells like old man breath. (laughs) It's interesting when uh, like connoisseur people describe cannabis, uh, they're like, "Oh, it's got like a baby shit kind of." <laughs> right. You know? But it's like, like poopy turp. It's a poopy yeah. turp. But you people know? are into that. They're like, yeah. they're real funky. You know? Like, yeah, yeah, funky, yeah. funky. It's like our um, superstar orange. Yeah, it's like a oh. gym bag full of socks and oranges. It smells oh, like yeah. straight body odor. Yeah. So Sometimes it smells a little poopy. But it sells. It's amazing. Oh yeah, I love it. And then you have strains like pineapple upside down cake, where when you're working on it. When you're in that row, it feels like you're in Hawaii because the the pineapple smell on it. Is... I'd have every room in my house smell like that if I could. Nice, yeah. it's <laughs> amazing. Literally smells like a fresh baked pineapple upside down cake. Yes, There's no ifs ands or but about it. It's crazy. Yeah. A lot of names come through of stuff that's like very suggestive in the name for what it should smell like, and it doesn't smell anything like it. But the pineapple is just like that's a pineapple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we were pheno hunting that one, it was interesting because we had. Our pina colada one, we had our pineapple upside down cake one, and we had our canned pineapple one, which actually, you know, that metal, metallic, like tin can smell, like with pineapple in it. Like it literally, it smelled like a can of pineapple. Interesting. So that was. This job's literally aromatherapy. Yeah. Yeah. When When I first came to visit you guys three years ago, 
I want to say it was one of your first or second harvests. I mean, you were, I don't know how many, you, you'll know, how many, I mean, how many varieties were you phenotic through originally? So when we first got going, we started everything from seed. We did so with the intention of biosecurity for one, and we want, you can clean seed easy, right? You can surface sterilize it. Um, so we knew from the beginning we were going to do that. Uh, and it was basically 10,000 seeds. Uh, that 10,000 seeds was made up of, I don't know, 120 something cultivars. Mm-hmm. And then some of those cultivars we had 200 seeds of, some of them we had six of. Mm-hmm. And we spent probably the better part of the first year and a half running them over, whittling them down, running them over, whittling them down. And then we got it down to our 16 production strains from 10,000 10, 10, to 16. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it took a lot of analysis, it took a lot of, we we came up with a scoring system, we came up with like surveys that we passed around to the team, we took feedback from the patients, there was just a lot of data points to sit in an ass. Yeah, tell me a little bit about, you you mentioned earlier that you have kind of a, a, I can't remember how you worded it, but you kind of have a program for when you're pheno hunting that allows retail, I'm sorry, medical patients through the retail to actually kind of get some insights into um, tell me more about that. So it's our, our sneak peek program sneak is what peak. we call it. Yeah. So when we're pheno hunting a new cultivar, we'll harvest it obviously. And then some of that material goes off to the extract guys to play around with and they give us their feedback on it. The rest of it just gets packaged in like bags, uh, labeled as cheaply as humanly possible because we're not gonna invest in the branding on an unknown and then sent out to the patients. And then we collect that feedback uh, through social media through various other means. And then that information gets related to the cultivation team. And then we kind of start working with that tied in with, you know, other like yield data and terpene data, potency data, the less fun things. Sure. It's amazing. Like a lot of people don't realize and there's different approaches, you know, like I think a lot of traditional growers are like, this is grower dictated. I grow this because it yields the most and I like it and I'm about to pump it out. Right. That's like one mentality going into it. But it sounds like you guys really break it into a lot more slices than that, you know, whether it, you know, cultivation feedback, extraction feedback, retail feedback, uh, patient feedback. I mean, that's all really critical stuff. And it's a lot of information. It's a lot of labeling and organization, yeah, yeah. Uh, which people don't realize, right? You're talking about 10,000 seeds and they're like, oh, that sounds like a lot. But the labeling component metric alone, um, keeping all that data organized. How do you navigate that? Or is there like one mastermind in here and metric that really holds it down? So metric, actually, we don't, we don't pheno hunt with metric. Okay. Uh, because we only have to do by strain labeling and metric just doesn't have enough user defined fields for the amount of data that we're trying to capture. So we have uh, an arguably exhaustive amount of Excel sheets that kind of compiles all this information into one spot. And then, you know, we just, we take that data, we punch it in, we give it a numerical value, we run regression lines on it and figure out what rises to the top numerically and then see how that compares to our in the room notes. Because, I mean, some plant could be perfect on paper, but then you look at it and you're like, that's affordable looking. Sure. And we come across that a couple times in root beer. And then we have other plants where our here's like pineapple upside down cake always circles back around because this was a plant that it's not a high potency plant. It's mm-hmm. 18%. And we've been told to kill it on more than one occasion <laughs> and have collectively as a department been like, no. I <laughs> can't. It's, what's the what's the reason for the kill? Sales? Potency. But potency. Uh, yeah. potency. But do the sales 
the sales dipped before uh, because Ohio was uh, a tier state in the beginning where basically anything that tests above 23% falls into one tier, anything below 23% falls into two tiers. Uh, the tiers factor into how many day units a single unit occupies. So everyone can purchase a max of 45 days. Um, if they buy a what would be a 2.83 gram amount of tier two cannabis stuff over 23% that occupies two of their days. So it gets into an awkward place where, you know, some people are, they only want 30% stuff or some people only want 29.9% stuff to like get the most bang for their buck. And then nobody wants anything that's sub 20. So if it's 29.9, you you get a one day allowance on 22.9 counts oh, as one day, 23 counts as two days. This is where the state regulations yeah. really like mess with the patient, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, fine. Yeah, that's such a that's so interesting. I don't know anywhere else that's like that. They took the feedback to their credit, and it took them a while, but they did roll that back. Fix it. As of the first of the year, they got rid of that system, which is nice. Now it's just you know a day unit is a day unit, regardless of potency. I remember when I was working in Canada, one of the local municipalities um, basically said if it's under. Because it was almost like how a state packing house for liquor works. Like it's called the SQDC. It was like the Quebec kind of situation. But they basically it was under certain potency. They would, they, they would you couldn't wholesale it at a certain dollar amount. Oh wow! So it was tied to dollars, which was really interesting. Cause that freaked everybody out, and then everyone went after high potency for a while there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's that's a very unique situation, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, I'm from California or Colorado. I've been growing forever," and they think they're going to go to this new state, and they have this old habits and they have to evolve in a way that they're just not comfortable with and they really struggle when they come over to these new rules which sometimes make sense and sometimes simply don't i want to know about the ohio 10th did i get that right <laughs> yes yeah ohio 10th so i think earlier i asked you guys about your packaging denominations mm -hmm. and you mentioned this concept of a 10th which I think it's the first time I've heard of it, to be honest. Yeah, it, so it's, it's first. a first. <laughs> okay, so uh, a tenth is? 2.83 grams. 2.83 grams. Yeah. Okay. So it's a tenth of an ounce. And is this like a, is nice. this something that came from the legacy market? This is like no, a new state thing? No, this is not a, I think this is a direct attempt at distancing the medical market from what is recreational How in mindset. So everyone thinks about eighths, right? right? Okay. Yeah, and that's a huge breath thing, though. So rather than admit that a lot of this industry was founded in REC or founded in black market, the state decided to go with the Ohio 10th. The Ohio At least that's what I so think the reasoning. I mean, I wasn't in the board room when they decided this, but I don't it's have any other logical. I mean, why not just make everything in equal gram units? At that like, point. Yeah, just yeah. sell it by the gram or by multiple units of grams, I don't understand why it's 2.83 grams. There's been a lot of times where my terms will and I'm like, just get an eighth, <laughs> you know? So is an eighth not an option? No, no, no. no. Oh, no, you can't get that. No Single way. day unit, 2.83, or you can do two day units, which is what, 5.76? 5.66. 5.66. So if you're a medical patient in the state of Ohio, you're frequenting the dispensary somewhat often. Mm -hmm. Like You're not like, I'm gonna go once a month and buy an ounce. That's not happening. No, I mean, you can, we can still sell this. half ounces yeah. now. Too. Oh, okay. Those yeah. are the, the denomination breakups. Yeah. I got you. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. The Ohio 10th. 
I'll look forward to adult use and maybe I can get myself my first Ohio 10. Oh yeah. <laughs> I heard that it's something we just try to take pride on or something like that just to be different. Sure. That's what I've heard through the grapevine. I don't have any critique facts. Well, or a lot anything. of people don't realize that Ohio's got a pretty rich history with cannabis. Mm. I try to remember, is it Lemon G? And mm -hmm. Lemon G13 comes from Ohio originally, oh, really? and I think Death Star. Death Star, Star, Death Star is also. Oh, which, fire. Death Star was like one of the first times, I remember 10 years ago or whenever it was when I got Death Star in Colorado. I was strong cannabis. It was, the, the terpenes were strong, the labor, I mean, all of it was strong. The THC was strong. We grew a lot of Death Star early on. I think it was a little bit susceptible to powdery mildew or something mm -hmm. like that, but yeah. we grew it. I would get rid of stuff. We, yeah. We, we grew a ton of Death Star, but a lot of people think Ohio and they don't think like cannabis, but you guys have had a, a strong culture here, like most places secretly for a long time. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. great farmland, you know? Sure. North coast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've talked about kind of where you started, where we are today, but what does is, what is the future hold for Buckeye Relief? Future. So... Well, we got two of the dispensary licenses in the last round. So one of them is fully operational. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's up and running. It's Amplify in Cleveland Heights. And we have have been so blessed with the amount of positive feedback that's come out of that. Is that, that's the name, Amplify? Amplify. Okay. And I mean, we put a lot of passion into designing that, tried to think that through as many details as possible in the design, just from getting patients in, giving them a space to hang out, um, just keeping that as simple and straightforward and informational as possible. And it's been reflected in the reviews that we've gotten from the dispensary. So that's been nice. great. Uh, we had a lot of people come from here to go over there to work. Um, and what I think is probably the coolest thing that we do is because uh, for the same company, we use uh, a Teams app on our phone and I'm all of us are directly linked up with the people on the dispensary side. So if somebody, if a patient walks in the door and has a question about a cultivar or a cultivation specific question, they can ask the dispensary worker who can literally just pull their phone out and like ding me or any of these guys. Yeah. And cool. we can just like in real time answer their question. That's and special. That's like, that's very personalized. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I think it's probably the coolest part yeah. to say. Yeah. That's I yeah, that's awesome. Because not very often can you get like questions answered from the cultivators. Yeah. <laughs> right, like literally, uh, somebody can really contact me, and be like, "Hey, what 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 are the terpenes in blue diesel or something like that?" I'll be like, "Oh, they don't know. really care." Nice. But you know, like, how tall is that plant? Right, right. <laughs> right. How tall is it? How many leaf? How many leaflets around Yeah, but that's really cool. And then uh, we also are in the middle of a build out of another dispensary down in Columbus. Nice. So again, under the Amplify, Amplify name. So those are the two licenses that we got. As far as the rest of the future of Buckeye goes, right now, Ohio is looking at a rec bill for next year. So we're kind of waiting with bated breath to see what happens with that. And needless to say, if the demand increases in Ohio, we will rise to the occasion. Is that, do you anticipate Obviously, when adult use or recreational comes online, your facility is going to be able, the current facility is going to be able to fulfill those needs, do you think? Or are you going to look at, is there expansion opportunities on this property or would you have to start fresh on a new location? Um, well, with the, I want to say the regulation requires that we be on the same piece of property. Okay. And without getting into too much detail, we plan for that. Copy that. Got it. <laughs> If you know, we have listeners on this podcast that uh, 
maybe know a ton about cannabis, maybe know nothing about cannabis. We have some listeners that work in cannabis, and we have listeners that are thinking about kind of maybe leaving what they were doing, a lot like what you guys did. Um, If you could each just give kind of one message to someone that was thinking about getting involved in the cannabis industry, I'd be curious to know kind of like what that is. Absolutely. So I would say if you want to be a part of something that is extremely rewarding, try to get into the cannabis industry. If you're not afraid of hard work, get in the cannabis industry. Um, Because with that hard work comes great reward. Being able to see people benefiting from all of the hard work that you do put in is one of the best feelings. Um, I know I have family members that uh, benefit from cannabis and it changes their lives in a good way. So being able to have my hands in that directly, it's, it's yeah, like I said, one of the greatest feelings. Awesome. How about you, Matt? I would just say, don't be afraid to throw your hat in the ring. Uh, 90% of the people at our company were trained at our company. They didn't come in with cannabis backgrounds. We figured it out and yeah. have been like learning together mm-hmm. as we go. And it's been, it's been awesome. It's it's more attitude is more important than like experience for a lot of the entry level positions. Nice. Anybody can be trained. Anybody that wants to learn can be trained. Yes. Right? You can do anything yeah. you want. It's hard to teach somebody how to learn. So, um, something from me, if you're wanting to get into the industry, that I like to know is that it's we're here. The bigger picture of what we're doing here is this is a medicine for people to consume to help them feel better in their own skin. So it's medicine by the people for the people. So if you're interested in anything like that to kind of like help make a change for somebody to help make a change for yourself, jump right in and do it. Cool. How about you, Shelby? Um, I'd say I have no regrets um, jumping ship, like Fish put it earlier um, from my last job before here. Um, I go home every day feeling incredibly proud and incredibly feeling like I achieved a lot. Um, I feel like I just go home helping someone new every day. Even though I don't know who I helped, I know what effort I put in today is going towards a good cause. And I can't say I felt like that before at another job. You know, I just, something different about it. It's all I can say. Yeah, yeah it's special. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm taking up a lot of your time, and I want to thank you because you guys are all incredible. You guys have got an awesome team, awesome facility, awesome products. Um, and uh, yeah, Pip is really happy to be a part of your journey and we're glad that we were able to kind of contribute to some of that success and uh, look forward to future innovations. You guys have been a great feedback loop and partner for Pip. So on behalf of Pip Horticulture, thank you very much. Awesome, thank and, you. And um, yeah, that's a, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to Cultivation Elevated. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at pip-horticulture.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cultivation elevated. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.